Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Fantasy Podcast here at Baseball America. I'm your host, Jeff Ponce. Alongside me, as always, is our lead fantasy analyst and the controller, the ruler of the robo-scout realm. That would be Dylan White. Dylan, man, how's it going? How's it going up in Canada? How's it? Less fires? How are things? (laughs) Uh, It's it's quite warm up here in Toronto right now, Um, Mm -hmm. and the week's going to be good. I think uh, it's all uphill from here. But the Jays are stinking it up. It's Monday night, and I watched them lose 11 nothing to the Marlins. And friend of the pod, Ernie Clement, pitched <laughs> for, for the Jays. It got that bad. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's uh, things aren't looking good. It's uh, People are down in the dumps in Jaysville. Yes, it was a, uh, a difficult series against the Rangers over the weekend. My son, who is a Blue Jays fan because he loves the – Dunedin Blue Jays and the New Hampshire Fisher Cats because dad takes them alongside him to games from time to time. So now he's a, a Blue Jays slash Orioles fan. Uh, I don't think he understands like interdivision type of stuff yet, but uh, <laughs> he's very into the, the Blue Jays this year. And uh, we've been watching games and they're constantly losing, which puts him into a bad mood. So I don't appreciate that either, Dylan. I'm with you. I feel it firsthand in my home. Um, hey, let me ask how, once again, uh, how are your fantasy teams doing? How were things this week? Any aggressive bids? Did you get any Sheehan shares? I did not get any Sheehan shares. My, my NFBC teams had a bad week. Um, just slipping in the, in TGFBI and, and the OC I'm co-managing with, uh, the OCs I'm co-managing with Jordan Rosenblum, uh, so that was bad, but Tout, I extended my lead a bit, uh, picked up Leody Tavares in my 12-team Tout. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 going okay. I, I, I bid aggressively in my Dynasty Leagues on uh, some of these Complex League and DSL guys I've been writing about, uh, just to put my money where my mouth is. But uh, yeah, no, I didn't get any Emmett and I didn't get any Luis Matos. Um and next week, I don't know if I'll get any Henry Davis. Maybe I will. We'll see. How about you? How are your teams doing? Uh, not great. I uh, I faced the uh, top-scoring team again this week in um, Tout Wars. So in my head-to-head league, I lost, even though I had, think I had the second or third highest score. I'm now fourth in points, but like ninth in the standings. Uh, it's been a run. I started off really hot, and I think I'm like one – and six over like the last seven weeks. Like it's, it's been pretty brutal. So I'm hoping uh, I bid up big on Sheehan. I also added Louis Matos. So let's hope both those guys are good and kind of help me out. It hasn't been a lack of points scored. It's just been a luck of the draw with opponents, which sometimes is the foil there in head to head leagues. So 
that's kind of what I've been up against there. But I did put in some aggressive bids and won. I won Sheehan in my labor league, which I've been very much, uh, all pun intended, laboring in. I'm in eighth. Um, I'm kind of the best of the bad teams. And there's like a bunch of middle of the pack teams, and I'm hoping that I can reach there. I just I have so many guys on the IL right now that I actually had to start Eric Lauer, who's in Triple A. Um, I picked up Blake Perkins as my uh, next, you know, best available outfield option. Um, but I did get Sheehan, which I think is pretty pretty good considering I, I've had Gavin Stone and a bunch of guys that have been hurt and ineffective. So um, next week, you know, maybe I can fill in with some relievers, but uh, we shall see. I don't know, Dylan hasn't been great there. My 30 team going pretty good. My uh, home league going pretty good. So it's not all bad, but it's been a bit disappointing, but I was aggressive with bids and I got my guy Sheehan. I think a lot of teams are already punched out and spent, big dollars earlier in fab and um you know i think Sheehan has a shot to maybe stick around so we'll see how that goes but i wanted to talk um a lot of chatter i think in terms of uh the fantasy and baseball space about some prospects recently and i always appreciate when there is dialogue and a difference of opinion when it comes to prospects because i think there is a wide variety of ways to evaluate and look at these players that could be different processes. That could just be own personal biases as well. Um, and I think it's the same when you're inside the game and you're talking to folks who work for teams as analysts or as scouts or you know um, decision makers that are in the front office. There's a wide variety of evaluations on a single player. There could be three, four, five, six, seven different takes on what the ultimate role is. So uh, there's been a few players that have been discussed in this fashion. Um, and I think sometimes when we look at our own Baseball America rankings, we are quick when it is like major dude, like it's a Jackson Cheerio, it's somebody like that. We are very quick to move on that information. With some of these more mid-tier prospects that may settle in as back-end top 100 prospects, we might be a little bit slower um, on some of those guys, especially in systems where they're making big jumps. One such player who I find to be fascinating, and I got to see him around this time last year on the Cape Cod League. I then got to see him uh, in double-A with Portland in his first series against Somerset when I was up there about a month ago. Uh, that's Chase Midroth of San Diego. Um, that was his college, of course. Uh, <laughs> but of the Red Sox, um, infielder, plays some third base. He'll play some second base. He's really stretched at third base. The numbers have been tremendous. I really throughout his professional career. Um, started the season off 20 games in high A Greenville. Hit 338, 495, 459 with two homers. Uh, stole four bases, 21.6% walk rate to a 20% K rate. Gets called up to double A. He's not 21, certainly an age appropriate level. He's now putting up pretty substantial numbers once again 289, 431. 454, 17.1% walk rate to a 15.4% K rate. He has four homers and three steals there. But there is definitely some debate as to how good Chase Midroth is. I've had these conversations with scouts as I updated the Red Sox system. Midroth went from, I believe, 28 or 27 or 28 to 15 in the system, which is a substantial jump. Um, I think role grade wise, you know, we are definitely looking at a potential everyday player average player um i think there's some folks who think it's better than that 
There's some folks who think it's worse than that. He's a very divisive player. He's somebody that analysts like because of the the strikeout to walk rate and some of the other peripheral numbers, of course. Um, he's somebody that scouts are a little bit more skeptical on. You know, a very polished West Coast kind of contact first hitter with really uh, developed plate skills. He's undersized. He's listed at 5'9", 170. It might be more like 5'7". Um, and he's not twitchy and doesn't have great speed and isn't a tremendous defender, but I think there are baseball instincts and all that sort of stuff there. So Dylan, I want to talk to you about this because I know we offline had had a little bit of a dialogue over the last couple of weeks, even about me and like where he falls in line with like Red Sox prospects and like prospects in general. So sort of what's your take on him? What's, what's Robo scouts take on him? Fill me in. Yeah. So he had a, had a pretty good season last year. Um, in I guess low A, he had like a 166 WRC plus um, in 85 plate appearances, and so he was popping on Robusco, but it's only 85 plate appearances, so it was like one of those guys to watch. Sure, and yeah, he's he's definitely he's definitely kind of uh, met the expectations, I guess, um, this year. You read off all the, the numbers. What I I. Uh, appeared on James Anderson's uh, Rotowire podcast a couple weeks ago. And just before I went on, it, Ross Jensen of Scott the Statline was on, and he they were talking about Chase Midroth versus Nick York and how it was pretty close, uh, hard to decide. Nick York had the really good season two years ago, had the disappointing season last year, and then was kind of bouncing back this year. And then Midroth is kind of like, at the time, how hot is he? Like, is it real? And so they were having a, a pretty good debate, and it was interesting. And I, in my head, I was thinking, you know what? I think it's Nick York. It's got to be Nick York um, if I had to make the choice, um, probability-wise. But, you know, maybe Midroff has passed him um, coming from the data side. I think he is exceeding York's production this year on pretty much every measure. Um one thing about the profile, though, is he he does not swing at all. He really is passive. It's like a 32% swing rate. Yeah. Um, so even though he doesn't really chase, he's not really swinging at all. It's kind of like the Emmanuel Rodriguez school. Um, <laughs> Only with contact and out power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's bizarro, Emmanuel Rodriguez. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good, it's an interesting conversation. I think, you know, they're both, I mean, they're not, they're, they're not the greatest defensively, right? They, they're kind of tweeners in terms of position. Is that, is yeah, that I, fair to say? Yeah. I mean, like I've seen me like make some pretty nice plays at third base. Um, but, you know, I wonder how much of that is like just the lack of range too. Um, I think the hands and actions are bad. York is a pretty good second baseman. Like, I think he's at least an average defensive second baseman. Um, he moves pretty well there. His actions are good. He's very natural to the position now as he's played it for a long time. Um, so I, I think he's more secure in second base long term. And I think there's more power projection. He's a bigger guy, a stronger guy, a little bit younger than Midroff, but I think it's, what, like six, seven months. So it's kind of almost negligible. Um, and I think like a, a lot of the negative 
approach toward York is based off of that bad season last year where he was hurt. And I think there was some other stuff going on too. So like for me, you know, I'm still in camp York. Um, but I do think that like me is 15. I don't want to get too overly aggressive. The feedback did not warrant a top 10 ranking in that system. I think that with a few more hot weeks, when we get into the July re-rank period, I think it would be reasonable to think that he could potentially be ranked within the top 10 within the Red Sox system. You want to go as high as five? Okay. When we start talking about him passing Roman Anthony, who I think if he hits, he's got a good shot of passing York. That's that's when it gets a little tricky for me, a little dicey. Like I don't think that he's in that Anthony um, York – I guess York is kind of there, but like that Anthony conversation and then, you know, sort of the, the top two in the system. Um, so, you know, for me, I think that's where it gets, it gets a little dicey, but like, you want to tell me he's better than Drohan or Paulino um, and those sort of guys. Okay. Like I could certainly buy that. I think like Sedane Raffaella, like there's probably a case there. If like you believe in the bat with me a lot more, the thing with Raffaella, and I don't know if you, it follows Raffaella has once again gotten like insanely hot. Um, and he started to hit again. Now, granted, we know he's an overly aggressive player, he's like the opposite of me, Droth, when it comes to his swing decisions. But he's a standout defensive player in two different positions. I don't know if you saw some of the highlights from shortstop this week, but he made like some tremendous plays deep in the hole, you know, throwing guys out after you know, getting uh, diving out for balls. And he's, like, you know, probably a 70s center fielder. So that guy's going to get opportunities, and he's going to stay in the lineup. Um, I think there's power. And the thing that's, like, interesting to me about Raphael, especially in this, like, current environment, is the speed. I mean, this is a guy that stole a ton of bases last year. He's got 30 stolen bases this year. And he's not a net zero um, when it comes to, like, power and batting average. So, you know, it, there's a, a – a, reasonable expectation that in real life and in fantasy that Raffaella could be the equal to Midroth just based on some of that speed. And if you're playing in five by five formats, you're less concerned about the walks and how deep he goes into counts and stuff like that. I do think that there's been some slight improvement there. So do I think that he's maybe in this conversation for like the top six? Sure. But I think when you look at that top five, there's a counter argument on each of them to Midroth is really how I look at it. And that to me probably puts me draw from like a fantasy perspective in like the 125 to like 175 range where I don't think he's a top 100 prospect. I think he's close, um, but he's more in that like neck of the woods where there's players that have like a potential like wart that maybe keeps him off. Um, or you're worried with like upside where I think like me unless he adds a lot of power, I don't know. Like, I don't know necessarily, like, is he a batting average and OBP guy that has like a 430 slug or a 440 slug and really doesn't steal more than like eight to 10 bags a year, which isn't crazy in this day and age, like two, three years ago, <laughs> that was valuable. But like, you know, eight to 10 steals doesn't have the value that it had maybe, you know, prior to the new rule changes. So I guess it's like a really long winded way to say that like, I like me and I do think that he will probably, if he keeps this up, move up the Red Sox like real life rankings and probably up fantasy rankings. I'm not quite there uh, with top 100 yet on on Midroff, but 
are you? I could certainly understand if you were. Uh, he he he's in that like 110 area for me i think mm -hmm. the interesting thing is is when i do the roboscout i have like sort of peak projections generated from what they're doing and midroth and york are basically identical projections <laughs> like 103 wrc plus 19 home runs seven stolen bases both of them and york has it in 250 at, like after playing 250 plate appearances uh in double a and midroth only at 123 so it's it's sort of like <clears throat> York has sustained what Midroth is doing um, uh, over a longer period of time. So, yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. I think the 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 passivity that Midroth's showing um, his his ninetieth exit velocity isn't isn't it's like just a bit below average, whereas York's above average. Um, if yeah, this York was, has some juice. Yeah, he does exactly. Like if this was happening in high A, I would be like, yeah, no, I, I can't see Midroth being able to do it, getting into the upper levels. But he's in Double A, and he's still kind of doing well despite that approach. When with kind of the better pitchers that he'd be facing, so it's starting to kind of like catch my attention as maybe being more sustainable than I had originally thought a few weeks ago. So really interesting conversation. I mean, this is the whole, this is the beauty of <laughs> of prospecting and yeah, trying to direct probabilistic outcomes and stuff. Yeah, I think that that is. Well, here, let me ask you this question. At El Amador or Chase Midroth? And if it's you know, Amador. Okay, and, and why? Like, why why Amador over, over Midroth? Similarly profiles, he's younger, he's 20, he's a switch hitter. Could be in double A in, like, a couple of weeks. Yan Kiel Fernandez just got promoted, so it wouldn't shock me if there's some shake-ups and, uh, you know, a, a, like, triple A and, like, you know, whoever gets promoted and somehow Amador ends up here, it would be totally shocking. But um, another guy with really low chase rate, in zone whiff is under 10%. Miss is, you know, up, what, 11.5%. Um, and, you know, he's a little bit less passive than Midroth is. Um, chase is like a tad bit more. Midroth has a little bit more swing and miss. Um, but the exit velocities, like, you know, Amador has better exit velocities, um, but it's not like Amador's exit velocities are crazy. Um, I, I do think that for, like, a switch hitter that's his size and his age, they are fairly impressive. And it's, like, about the same in terms of uh, average. And I think 90th, he's maybe got, like, close to a mile per hour. So it's, like, a little bit harder contact, but not much. Um, yeah, I, I lean Amador, too, but... I just was I was interested with that one because I think they're similar sort of profiles where there's probably a little bit more twitch and projection with Amador um, than there is with Midroth. You know, I think that's my concern. Like with Midroth, is like, is this guy kind of like maxed out? Is this like who he is? You know, um, another name that's come up quite a bit uh, and been discussed online. He was just promoted to Double A, made his debut on Sunday on Father's Day, and pitched really well. And that would be Chase Hampton. Uh, he's now in Double A with uh, the Somerset Patriots, which is promoted from High A Hudson Valley, where he's been all year. His numbers have been awesome. We're only going to talk about players named Chase, by the way, on this podcast. So if you're interested in Chases, um, stick around. But <laughs> as we continue here, Hampton was great in 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 um, High A. Excuse me, I'm like stuttering over my words here, but. 21 years old, nine starts there, 47 innings. Um, 
struck out 40.5% of the batters he faced at 8.4% walk rate, 178 batting average against so one whip. Um, and the ERA was 2.68, 14.7 K per nine, 3.0 walk per nine. If you're into those sort of numbers, um, I'm into it. Huge stuff. Right. And I know that he's shown up pretty high on, uh, RoboScout as well. So talk to me about Chase Hampton and sort of where you have him. Cause, um, I'm liable to get kind of stupid with a, with a player like that ranked real high. I love Chase Hampton. He's uh, I picked him up a few, maybe a month ago now, everywhere, and I spent lots of money on him too. Just when we saw the Statcast numbers, the stuff looks really good. Just everything that you like is kind of there. Um, I have, I think, with the exception of Connor Phillips, who I really love too, who was in Double A, now is in Triple A. Like those are my two favorite. Uh, pitchers this year by far um just love watching what they're doing um i think <sighs> he's pushing the top 100 conversation for me i don't think i can put him in yet there because there are a lot of good players <laughs> in the top 100 already but he's he's right there he's a guy that um easily for me is going to be in the top 100 next year um he's going to be a hot commodity he's in double a now he may make it even to AAA by the end of the year, so he's going to be in the majors next year. I think he can be a starter in a rotation. Um, I'm not sure how the Yankees will deploy him. I'm not sure what their rotation is going to look like next year, but uh, you know he's got a, he's got to jump Will Warren, and there's there's a bunch of guys up there, and you know Frankie Montas will be back. Carlos Rodon, uh, he's still a Yankee. Um, it's going to be difficult, but uh, I really like Chase Hampton, and uh, he's just—he's so young too, and in Double A. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? I could go on forever. Yeah, I was—I was thinking like I, you know, when I break down stuff and I look at how these pitches move by looking at you know the data more than just what the the stuff number is. Um, you know, he's got a four seam fastball that sits ninety four. 95 miles per hour. He touches 97, 98, gets like 18 to 19 inches of induced vertical break. If we adjust that down, which typically seems to happen <laughs> when you go into the major leagues, you're talking about 17 inches, maybe 18 inches of ride, um, flatter vertical approach angle. Um, so he's one of those, you know, lower sort of um, release flat approach, high spin efficiency, forcing fastball type guys. He's got a 4.2. VAA, which is pretty good. Um, the slider is is good. It's a you know mid eighties pitch with um, you know some sweep and a little bit of ride. It's kind of an interesting pitch, um, especially for how hard he throws it. It's a very unique um, sort of uh, uh, slider, and he lands that in the four seam fastball for strikes consistently. Um, and he'll mix in a curveball and you know show a changeup as well. So there's there's a deep arsenal of pitches here. Um, actually, there's a cut or two. Everything's hard. Um, and, you know, this looks like a starter to me. The, the numbers have been there. He's been performing. He has enough command. He actually didn't walk a batter um, in his double-A debut. You know, this might be the first Yankees pitching prospect in a while where I'm willing to really go out in a limb on. I got burned a little bit by Debbie Garcia taught me some lessons about some short guys. Um, but I think like this style of pitcher 
he definitely, you know, sort of fits in for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to look at like the back end of our list here for pitchers. And I mean, as I start to get down the list, I mean, we have some great names up top, but, you know, you start to get to the, the zone around like Mick Abel or, you know, Ben Brown, um, Dylan Lesko, Louis Ortiz, DL Hall, Kate Horton, um, Max Meyer. We had Connor Phillips right there. I think I would actually lump Phillips in here. I would take him over most of these guys that we have in the 200, you know. Um, I, I, we had him at uh, 142, one spot ahead of Jack Leiter. And I think for me, he's probably moved up. 40 to 50 spots, I could probably put him even higher than, than where we have him. I, I think you could fit him into the back end of a top 100. But as we always say, like it's very fluid and it's very preference-based there, in my opinion. Um, there's not a lot of consensus necessarily. So I could see him being outside too, but I do think he's within the conversation. He was in the conversation. Now that he's in A, had some success in the first start, and I think you know could continue to find that success. He's somebody that just is is absolutely skyrocketing to me. I think could be a top 100 prospect for real life and fantasy by the end of the season, uh, pretty unanimously. So we'll see. Next one, next topic I wanted to jump in on, Dylan, was the discourse around Emmett Sheehan's uh, six inning, six no hit scoreless debut where he did get some great defensive plays behind him didn't get as many whiffs in the fastball as we would have expected throws the fastball a ton and the stuff numbers weren't great in the public space um of course we've had some stuff numbers for the last couple of years um and you know we had it in the 130 range uh close to 140 um it is a <laughs> a forcing fastball that sits 95 96 97 depending upon which game you catch she in uh incredibly low release height um a vaa that's below four degrees which is like alien outlier you know type of stuff similar to joe ryan but with with more power um but the induced vertical break numbers that we've had for a couple years now were 17 to 19 inches and in his debut it was about 15 so I don't know if that was getting used to the major league ball, if he was just juiced up and, you know, wasn't getting as much ride. It was 99% efficiency. Um, you know, maybe it's just a matter of him making some adjustments in the ball and we'll go back to seeing that ride again. But I think that might've been the culprit for why the stuff numbers were as low as they were. Um, but I don't know how you watch that pitch and think that it's not like insane stuff. So uh, I just haven't seen such a discrepancy between the minor league stuff numbers and the major numbers since we've had this data the last two years. I just, this was the biggest discrepancy I've seen thus far. Any thoughts on that at all, Dylan? Not really. I mean, I, I agree. It's so weird that discrepancy, like we usually see, they're usually fairly correlated what the, what the pitchers are doing in the, in the minor leagues um, in terms of like the stat cast metrics and then when they come up to the majors and maybe there's a bit of a, a reduction, but it's like, it's not like what we saw with Sheehan. So I, I, I'm not sure what's happening. So I, you know, I, I want to see um, another couple starts, you know, maybe he, like you said, maybe he was juiced up, his 
his arm like was lagging by his body or something because he was so excited. Go ahead. You're gonna say something. And his tilt was off. So he was a one to one oh five tilt the last two years. Um he was 130 in his debut. So I wonder if he was just getting around the side of the ball a little bit more, still throwing it with a lot of efficiency, but maybe it was some seam adjustments or something like that. I'm I'm not quite sure. I think that's might be what it is, but I still don't know. Like he throws so hard and gets I mean, you could watch the ride when you watch the game. I mean, you can see you Sheehan as a player like Wu or Bryce Miller, where you see the ride on the fastball. So that's why I found it to be uh, unusual, I guess to put it that way. But I mean, you, you know, you're pitching in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then you're getting called up to Los Angeles. Your parents are in the crowd. There's, you know, 30,000 people watching you. You're going to get juiced up, right? So you I... Yeah. <laughs> the age of 23 or whatever it is so like yeah we've seen the VAA for a few years now we know like you're not you can't fake that really right no. um and so I think it was just you know an anomaly just his mechanics maybe were a bit off um and it was just you know manifesting in, in the the release of the ball so I, I want to see a couple more starts before I, I conclude but it's definitely an interesting research <laughs> article or, or a topic yeah, I want to see another start before I write about it so I can see if there's some adjustment and maybe even try to reach out to the player. We shall see. Uh, next one I want to bring up. Actually, before we go to our next topic, let's take a quick break. We always forget to do this, Dylan. So we're going to remember to do it this week again. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, and we are back. And our first topic we're going to discuss in the second half of the show here, that is Jackson Holiday, the mighty Jackson Holiday. has been struggling a little bit over the last month, Dylan. Um, 
as you said, uh, he's still pretty high up in, in RoboScout. Um, I'm sure a big portion of that is he's continued to get on base at an elite rate over the last month. But when it comes to the balls he's put in play or hit out of play, they have been fewer and far between over the last 30 days. Um, you know, he's hitting over that period. He's got two home runs. He's hitting 250, the 420 OBP, as I mentioned, and a 348 slug. It's a sub 100 ISO. Still a 128 WRC plus. Big part of that is that 21% walk rate to a 21% K rate. But only five extra base hits over the last month, 18 uh, singles, and uh, equal number of strikeouts and walks. He still has eight steals over that time. So he's still doing some things. But this has been sort of the first, I'll say, somewhat prolonged slump with like parentheses around it that we've seen from Jackson Holiday. So, um, as he's come down to earth at all, have you adjusted expectations at all? Or are you still gung-ho on holiday as, you know, number one or number two? I'm still gung-ho. I mean, this might right. be the first slump in his life. <laughs> Potentially. Still, um, yeah, I, I, I the, you know, the ISO's down in that time, but he's still controlling the strike zone. He's still walking more than he's striking out. He's not beating it into the ground. Um He's still above average um, WRC plus for the level, even though he's one of the youngest players at the level. I'm not concerned at all. Just a little hiccup. Um, So just a quick, maybe it's not that quick, but a little backstory. So when I, I was back testing RoboScout last year, it was sort of a a retrospective. Um, And so the metric I was using was how was RoboScout on a certain day compared to like, it's like in June, what was RoboScout showing? And then what were the final end of season? So months later, what did Steamer 600's projections come out as? And then what was the fantasy dollar value associated with those Steamer projections at the end of the season compared to what RoboScout was saying in June? Long story short, the correlations were quite good. But one of the things that it found was that like uh, RoboScout in July, RoboScout in August, as I had more data, wasn't even that much better. It was better, but it wasn't even that much better. So what, what I'm trying to say, long story short, is even back in June with a little bit of data, um, RoboScout was very accurate. And so it showed to me that I should be constantly having uh, new start dates for RoboScout because I know after you know a month, six weeks of RoboScout data, it's good. So why don't I take a six-week window? and see like the last six weeks of, of production rather than the entire season. So what I'm trying to say is I set May 22nd as a, as a start date for, for RoboScout in parallel to the, to the overall RoboScout numbers. And Jackson Holiday, even through this slump, is still 10th in high A. So I, I have Ooh. zero concerns. All that to say, all that math and, and boring eyes glazed over <laughs> story was all to say that I have zero concerns with Jackson holiday right now. And this is just a minor slump. And even in his slump, he's still one of the top 10 players in the level. Yeah. And I think the thing that, you know, the lesson to take away here too, I just think from the type of players that you target, I like players like holiday because they walk a lot and they have some speed and some other skills that even when they slump with, you know, hitting the ball hits contact power, they're still able to provide production, but getting on base, scoring runs, being getting opportunities to run and get steals. Um, I think it's the value in players like that. Even in like a standard five by five format, is you will find players that get on base at a high rate that 
see higher counting stats because of that. So just another uh, lesson there. And yeah, I'm not panicking holiday at all. I just noticed it. We talked about it today. Um, with jo- I talked about it today with Josh and it was just like one of those things I might be interesting to bring up and discuss and see, you know, if people should panic. Cause we've done pretty well with like our don't panic so far this year. I don't know if you realize that Grayson Rodriguez is pitching really well in triple I got some great reports this week. Um, another guy, Gunnar Henderson started to hit right after we told people not to panic. So um, we've had we've had a couple of good not don't panic type of moments. We did One the more. same with Elvis Martinez. So I think that's becoming our signature uh, ability here on the show. Is and, and Michael Harris. Don't uh, don't forget about Michael Harris. Your coup. Yeah, trading for Michael Harris, and then he's now on a tear and one of the hottest hitters. In oh, the I, I added him in that league, and <laughs> the guy who dropped him is in first, and I'm in second now on his tail. And uh, Matt Truss and I've been joking around with Truss saying like, <laughs> you got all the bad from from Harris. You dropped him. Now I'm getting all the good. So um, it's funny how sometimes that role reversal will happen. And I think the bigger lesson in Dynasty is even if you're out of it, making some underrated moves for underperforming players who've seen their value plummet. That is a great time to buy. We saw it and it was hurt again. But Cody Ballinger early in the year. You could have bought him for a song at the end of last season or over the offseason, even maybe for a throw in and then turned a profit May 1st, you know, mid-May before he got injured. And you probably would have, I mean, I tried to acquire him and I offered some pretty good players that ended up netting me somebody else, but um, they were pretty good players that I wouldn't have been offering for Ballinger prior, you know, in prior year and a half or whatever you want to say. But anyway, next one I want to talk about. This is a great one for me because I, I, I love this guy. He was one of my first Cape guys that I really fell in love with. This is 2018. Austin Shenton was the first year that I had ever done any Cape Cod League coverage whatsoever. And like we in the public space. And um, Shenton was in the same team as Austin, uh, excuse me, Bryson Stott, Andrew Vaughn, and a few others. And Shenton was at the MVP of the league, raked into the playoffs he was more of a contact and on base driven player at that point in time was not yet a power hitter kind of has made some adjustments uh since coming into pro ball first with seattle and then with the rays he is on a power tear of late and is up to 13 home runs this year he's hitting 332 432 606 he's a 26 percent strikeout rate but a 15.2 percent walk rate which is great to see by far the highest walk rate of his career that we did start to walk a little bit more in 2022, though it was an injury plague campaign that only uh, kept him to 52 games. So we've kind of seen over like a full season now dating back to last year, some of this production for Austin Shenton. And I think people are kind of asking, Hey, this guy's been on a tear, you know, since beginning of June, he's already hit, you know, uh, seven home runs, I believe, seven or eight home runs. Um, is this guy for real? He's had production as an amateur. You know, he wasn't necessarily like a highly touted prospect. It certainly wasn't a bad one. Um, and had a pretty productive start to the season last year as well before going down with injury. And I was trying to pull up the numbers here. But if you combine his last two years, which is 110 games, so roughly a full season, um, his overall line is very good. He's got 21 home runs over that period, 27 doubles. He is hitting 
285, 387, 514 with a 28% K rate, but a 13.8% walk rate. It's a 139 WRC plus. And, uh, oh, by the way, he's doing it in the Southern League with the ride balls this year, um, which would account for half that production. So I ask you, Dylan, I am a fan of Austin Shenton. I want to tell people that I think it's for real. What do you say? Are you buying into this? I know you had an interesting sort of line about this, which is one of the reasons I asked. I added it and asked the question. Well, I mean, I texted you this that, that uh, he was popping on my uh, that Robo Scout where I start on May twenty second and see how he's doing, because I, I knew you had a history with him and I knew you'd get a kick out of that. But like, just to put it into perspective, since May twenty second, he has a two sixty eight WRC plus and in fewer than a hundred plate appearances, ninety five plate appearances, which is still a pretty good chunk. That's you know three four weeks of, of production. His line is 478, 547, 919 slug with nine home runs. His strikeout rate is 14.7%. You were saying he brought it down. Like it's, a, it's only 14.7% in that time. Yep. He, his 90th percentile exit velocity is, you know, it's plus. 6.6. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's some juice. So what, when, so he was traded uh, the Rays got him from the Mariners for Diego Castillo, the pitcher. And I remember at the time going, what? Why are they trading Diego Castillo? And now, you know, a year or whatever later, <laughs> like Diego Castillo's in the minors, I think. Yeah. He he was optioned, and now Austin Shenton is, is you know, popping in double-A. Um, just chalk one up to the Rays again. But anyway, long story short, he he's 25 in double a so he's not you know he's not a 20 year old that we should get too no. excited about he's he's third base slash first base type of thing it is the rays like they've got manzara they got me they've got you know isaac paredes yandy diaz they have a lot of jonathan aranda they have a lot of options i am very curious more than anything of what this is going to turn into he is showing above average hit ability He's got above average power. He he can hit. It's basically the bottom line. Um, so I mean, what you've seen what they've done with like Luke Rayleigh. <laughs> you see they do like Harold Ramirez. Like I could see easily see him having a a very productive major league. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about career, but uh, you know, a few seasons of like excellent production. Um, I just don't know where it's going to be and how it's going to be and when it's going to be. So yeah. it's it's what I'm really watching. It's you know someone I take a shot on in, in a dynasty league. I wouldn't drop someone of like you know top 200 caliber to to take a shot here. But if you if you got the space, if uh, you know you need to take a shot at someone in for the next year to to produce rather than waiting on a you know 17 year old in the DSL, then uh, sure. you know I, I highly I highly suggest that this is a guy that's on that short list. And I'll tell you where I think he's he's hitting himself into relevancy right now. He was unprotected in the Rule 5 draft this year, will be eligible again next year. Um, he looks like the type of player that someone could take a shot on and carry on their roster, a la Blake Sable with the Giants. Hmm. Um, we see some of these guys, Ryan Noda, with the Athletics. This is a guy that the Rays may not be able to protect, which means one of two situations will happen. He either will end up unprotected and potentially selected in the Rule 5 draft next uh, hmm. winter, or he is one of these guys like Tobias Myers, Tobias and others Myers yeah. who 
are eligible for the 40-man roster and they don't have space for him. So there's another team who will trade them a prospect. And the Rays have done great doing this. It's how they acquired Junior Camarero, which is a long story short on Tobias Myers. But he could end up on another team's 40-man roster and potentially get some opportunities that way. I do really like the power growth here. Um, the chase rate is very good, um, 21% at AA, even if he's older. Still, those are skills that translate. The whiff is a little high. The end zone whiff is probably higher than just like the miss in general. Um, but I think that there's enough balance of skills here for him to be like a three true outcome sort of corner infielder. It's a left-handed bat with on-base skills and power. Those guys get opportunities. I can't guarantee he's going to be a superstar. This is definitely a deeper league name for me. I wouldn't be adding him in my 12-team league where 100 prospects are rostered. But I think if you're looking at 250 to 300 prospects rostered, he's sort of in that 225 to 300 range for me. I think that's a totally reasonable take, especially if it's an OBP league or a points league that maybe doesn't subtract for strikeouts. He could be a pretty valuable player. And I do think that, you know, as we've seen with a lot of minor leaguers this year, pitchers and hitters included, there are a lot of minor leaguers that are on rosters in the minor leagues who are probably better than some starting players in the majors and they're not even necessarily huge stars and like top 25 prospects there's a lot of good players out there and it's just a matter of a guy getting his opportunity and i do hope austin shenton does i dropped the link in here for donut checkout i'll encourage the listeners as well check out the miami herald article on austin shenton when he was at florida international it's about finding out that uh, his adopted mother, because um, uh, Shenton was adopted, um, had cancer and sort of finding that out going into his draft year and, you know, some of the other things uh, and his background, which is very unusual. It's actually, I believe, Native American was adopted and um, his uh, brother that was, you know, his adopted brother um, was severely handicapped and, you know, had a few issues and, um, you know, it was just whatever, you know, it was kind of an interesting human element sort of story. Um, Austin's one of these guys when you talk to him, always calls you yes, sir, no, sir. I know a few of his coaches, one of them I used to work for at Perfect Game, uh, in Jared Goodwin. So I, I do have a, a personal connection to, to Austin Shenton. That doesn't mean that it clouds my analysis, but I do think that there is really high makeup here and a great individual and somebody that's really easy to root for. So I encourage you to Google that story and give it a read because um, you'll learn a little bit about Austin Shenton and uh, why he is so unique. But let's move on here. Our second to last, our penultimate topic on the podcast today. That would be uh, a name from the complex leagues that you have added on the most rosters thus far since the league started over the last couple of weeks. I know you're active like I am, Dylan, playing a few different leagues. It could be a couple guys. Maybe it's one particular player. Who have you, you know, gone out there, put some bids on, added off the waiver wire? Who do you have most rostered amongst your different rosters for, we'll say, breakouts on uh, the complex uh, league level? So two weeks ago, so the fr- just five days after the season started or whatever, um, the guy who was number one – in the Arizona Complex League was Rafael Ramirez Jr. on the Guardians. Um, so I picked him up in a couple places. I wrote about him in the article then. He just, his his uh, his data is just ridiculous. Like right now, he has a 35% walk rate. Um, 
which is obviously ridiculous, and a 2% swinging strike rate, which is also ridiculous. So, and he's 17. So he's one of the youngest players in the, in the, at the complex league. And he's just like showing incredible sort of swing decisions slash uh, plate discipline type numbers. So that's something RoboScout really loves. Um, and so I was happy to see that he's still at, at the top because it's so volatile so early in the season. Uh, you know, things change week to week and he is still in the top. So I was happy to see that. And then this week, going to the Florida Complex League, I picked up 17 year old, six foot three Cuban outfielder John Cruz for the Yankees. Fun. Who, and even before I wrote about him, um, he was in the top five and he hit two home runs the day I was writing about him. So uh, I picked him up in a lot of places. Just, just the, the, the ceiling seems really high. Uh, not that many reports out on him, but like obviously the power's there um, as a 17 year old uh, in the, in, in the FCL. Um, he is kind of tied with Luis Baez of the Astros who has six home runs already in 45 plate appearances. Um, who is also uh, doing exceedingly well, except he has been uh, rostered by all my league mates already. Luis Baez, cause he had some, he had some buzz coming into the year, but John Cruz was the guy I took a shot on. Um, don't really know much about him. Um, other than he's very young. He's an outfielder has like a, a nice projectable body. that's just showing incredible power already without that much swing and miss. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. I'd already rostered a, a, a few of these guys. I have, you know, Sebastian Walcott and I have, you know, Arroyo and a, a couple others. Um, but the one that I've been adding the most and I, I added him in my my 30 team league and I actually added him in um Highlander as well and that's uh Guardians infielder Welbin Francisca uh I had already added him we've got access to some updated data um it's a very small sample the numbers are really good uh very little it's DSL but he is 17 years old which is totally appropriate very little swing and miss, very little chase for even less like insane amount. of. I don't think he's probably only missed on like one or two pitches in the zone. The exit velocity, though in a small sample, it's been pretty good. Barrel rate, pretty good. Launch angle numbers, pretty good. Like he looks like he could potentially be a dude at 17. The underlying data is like the same sort of stuff that was tipping me off a few years ago to Junior Cameron Arrow tipped me off a few years ago to Adele Amador. So I'm I'm pretty interested in uh, Francisca. I hope that he keeps it up. As I said, I have put in bids and added him in a multitude of leagues. Um, and he's probably the number one name here for me that I've been going after and rostering. Other years, I maybe would have picked up a few other guys, like in my 30-team league. This year, I'm real competitive, and I've been sort of um, uh, roster-baiting, we'll say, with uh, putting these these guys into the minor leagues and uh, that are actually major league pitchers that still are under their limits and kind of moving them back and forth. Um, you know, I got Louis Ortiz. I had drafted Sanga. Um, I added uh, Osvaldo Vito, uh, the Pirates, who actually turned another good outing tonight. And then a ton of relievers, Josh Winkowski, and all these guys that have pitched really well. Uh, so I have probably like eight minor leaguers of 20 in this league that are actually major league players that I sort of filter in and out of my lineup, depending upon who pitched last night, who has a good matchup, who's due to pitch. 
and uh, trying to optimize my uh, my innings that way, a little gamesmanship. So I have less I have less of these DSL bonus guys, but I do have a few holdovers that were that were pretty good. Um, that kind of give me some some potential breakouts still. Like I said, Arroyo, I got Celestine in that league, and a few others. Um, and you know, I think Francisco is probably a little young for a player that gets rostered in Highlander, but. I am bottom of the barrel rebuilding in that league. Um, and I think he could be a dude. So he's somebody I'm going to try to like stick around on and see what I got. And, uh, you know, maybe he gets to, you know, the Arizona complex league before the end of the summer and hits and that he's got a little helium and I can do something with that for sure. But uh, yeah. And I've gotten some good reports, you know, from some, some guardians. Oh. So uh, that certainly helps. Any other names you want to bring up or should we bring up our last question here before we wrap up the show, Dylan? Now, let's let's go to the last. Let's go to the ultimate question now. The ultimate question. <laughs> if it's penultimate, does that make the last one the ultimate question? It does. Well, this is the ultimate question, I'm sure, for a lot of our listeners. Dylan, who's the most underrated fantasy prospect in your eyes? You can only pick one. Can I narrow it down? You've had some time to think about it. I'm dilly-dallying now. I did. I did have – I had four minutes to think about it. Um <laughs> I, I I looked at my Robo Scout uh, lists to see a name that you know is near the top, and then like one I maybe not expected to be at the top, and I landed on it, and I like it. And that name is Johan Rojas Woo! of the Phillies. Uh, what's what's his uh, his nickname? It's like the the alien or something like that. The Martian? It's not the Martian. No, but incredible incredible i think it's like the alien or something like that um it's just like 70 defense and center steals a ton of bases the question has always been the bat i've had him a couple times in leagues and i've dropped him um so this may be another one of those times but he has turned it on of late he's making good contact he has a, a k rate and and since since uh, may 22nd um in 114 plate appearances he's a k rate below 16 percent Swing strikes around 10%. He's got four home runs, eight stolen bases mm-hmm. during that time, a 166 WRC plus. Um, you know, he's got 2020 upside. That's a that's gonna be a 90th percentile outcome, but you know, he's got he's got speed for sure. And if he can get into 15 home runs, that'll be great. And it seems like he's doing better with the bat. He doesn't walk that much and never really has, but the underlying data, the underlying stack has is actually pretty pretty good and pretty supportive of what he's doing. His contact rate is above average to plus his exit 90th percentile exit velocities are better than average. He's 22 years old in double a, um, he, his swing decisions aren't the greatest, uh, and they never have been, but it looks like he's starting to, you know, kind of put things together here. Um, and so I like him as a very underrated prospect. He was rated highly before, I think he was number one or in the top three of the Phillies a couple of years sure. ago. Yeah. Um, Still not that far off. And yeah. And, and he kind of, he kind of lost the luster and the shine kind of came off, but now I, uh, you know, maybe he's putting himself back into the conversation. So he's in the, in double a since May 22nd, where Austin Shenton is number one. Um, there's Colt Keith, Kobe Mayo, Aurelvis Martinez, Jackson Churio, Juan Brito, of the guardians uh used to be the rockies and then johan rojas just ahead of jordan lawler so he's in good company good there 
yeah, it's not it's not like a crazy list that makes no sense. It's a uh, makes a, it's a list that does make sense, and for that, it's making me sit up and take notice of Johan Rojas and Juan Brito. <laughs> yeah, and I've had scouts that absolutely love Rojas, and he is tremendous in center field. I saw him a few weeks ago. Is hitting better. The quality of at bats are are pretty good. Um, so that should continue. And you know, I think he's a very interesting player, and has shown the ability to get on base at certain points in his career as well. So. Does not go unnoticed, Dylan. So I, I agree with you there. I think that's a, that's a pretty good name. Um, I definitely would go out there and, and roster him, if at all possible. Because um, as you said, he's definitely somebody that is of interest. You know, doesn't strike out much either. Um, so we'll see how those skills develop. But he's definitely somebody that, that jumps off the page to me. My name we're going to throw out there is somebody I see in New Hampshire all the time. Uh, and he is definitely an underrated prospect, probably not rostered in most leagues. That is uh, Damiano Palmagiani. That is P-A-L-M-E-G-I-A-N-I. For those of you out there trying to scour and find the name. Um, the numbers have been really good for this year for uh, Palmagiani as well. It's not like, you know, this is just an underrated sort of, um, you know, performanceless guy that I'm throwing out there again, just based off the underlying data. Um, you know, this year he's hitting 269, 380, uh, 852 OPS. He's got nine home runs um, for stolen bases, but um, hits in the middle of that New Hampshire order. And I think if you look at the under, underlying data, pretty good miss rate, you know, um, his contact rates about 75% in zone contact is about 85%, which is great to see sub 20% chase rate, swing rates about 40%. So he's not overly passive. It's kind of what we want to see from these guys that have these lower chase rates. Really good exit, excuse me, exit velocity data, 90%, 90, eh, a 90 mile per hour average exit velocity, a 105 plus 90th percentile, 14% barrel rate. Um, it's one of the highest barrel rates in the minors. I think it might be top three among players with 200 plate appearances or more. Um, so obviously he gets good launch angles. He barrels up a lot. And I can tell you by watching him, he is somebody that you would say that guy barrels up a lot just based on his, his swing plane and how easy it is. Um, we've seen him grow not only from a plate skills perspective, but also from a power perspective over the last year, only 23 years old. He was a uh, Venezuelan, uh, that immigrated to Canada, played high school baseball in Canada. I think travel baseball as well. Um, you know, ended up going to Southern Nevada, which is a JUCO, ended up getting drafted twice by the Blue Jays, once out of high school, then again as a JUCO. And, you know, he's kind of developed into an interesting prospect here with some offensive upside. We've seen players with less pedigree than Paul Maggiani, like Spencer Horowitz or Davis Schneider, who have succeeded as they've moved up the chain. Horowitz just de debuted. I think this could be the best of this sort of archetype. Vinny Capra being another one who got to the major leagues with them at one point. I think this is the best of that archetype within the Blue Jays system over this period of time. He has everything and it's just a little bit better. He hits the ball a little bit harder. He barrels up a little bit more than Horowitz. The contact is just as good, if not better. The swing decisions are just as good, if not better. So for me, I think this is an everyday regular potentially. And I'm tempted to push him up even higher into our Blue Jays ranks because I think he's really doing some things right now across the board production that we're not even necessarily gathering based on his slash line. 
he's been really good. I I I like that call a lot. Definitely underrated. He's a guy that pops up every so often in Robo Scout, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. Should I take a shot? And I I always find someone else to take instead, just because I you know the pedigree isn't there and it's like maybe i could find someone where i can you know marry the two the scouting reports and the and the stat line so he's a he's a name i'm very familiar with that i see week to week pop yeah. up on these, on these lists and i just and i'll say like everybody likes him i think everyone's just like i don't know how good he is so like you want to talk about a production guy that maybe the industry is a little low on it could be somebody like this where there is impact, there is swing decisions and all that stuff that goes together. He's not a great third baseman, you know, but he can play in the field a little bit. You throw him in the corner, it's fine. Um, if he was an average third baseman, I think he would be a much more ballyhooed prospect, frankly, you know, because he's kind of a below average defender at third. But like the bat's there, he barrels up, he hits the ball hard, he walks, doesn't swing and miss. The zone is even better. I feel like if this is a this is a guy, if all this data, all this information was public, that fantasy guys in the public would be higher on Paul Maggiani than they are right now, just if they had all the numbers in front of them. Do you agree or disagree with that? I know you're you're nodding your head, but like I I, I don't know. Like I feel like if everyone could see these numbers, they'd be like, yeah, <laughs> there's like only a handful of guys that have this skill set at an average or better level. And he's one of them, and his might be the best of that bunch. And I'm, we're talking about some decent names too. No, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I, I take I take the Statcast data, I normalize it to the level, I also normalize it to the age. And his Statcast data, using my metric, is like a one twenty two, so twenty two percent better than the average yeah. for the age or for the level. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely there. I definitely agree that uh, the Statcast is supportive of of what you just said yeah and he likes playing in the cold he's you know he's from venezuela but spent a lot of time in canada can play for the canadian national team in the wbc as well so he's got some some big time experience some pressure moments but dylan i want to thank you for joining me again i want to thank all the listeners for tuning in like subscribe write a review tell people to listen to this podcast we appreciate all of your listens we appreciate your subscriptions to the site i think we're going to have some very exciting new stuff. I'm going to tease that coming over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. Thanks again, guys. Cheers.